so badass! Dr. Satan! Ah, Dr. Satan! Maybe he lives next door to you. <laughs> existential crisis thing uh but i read somewhere that we are this basically they conceptualize how humans real like what humans really are and Mm. it it sent me into a spiral thinking about (laughs) what is existence i just picture you spinning around in your office chair no no as the camera camera pans up con (laughs) <laughs> yeah or it's like it's like that scene from titanic where they're spinning and it's just the cameras on their face and the whole background is sc- sc- spinning around them i don't know i've never seen that movie oh well you're not it's basically it's basically a movie about uh it's an old lady telling a story about how she got the best dick in the world <laughs> and i know i know jack was his name jack dawson dies on a door so mm-hmm. whatever no that's the problem he didn't die on the door and rose could have let him on the door but she didn't and he froze to death you bitch <laughs> so, anyway, my existential crisis is not about Leonardo DiCaprio. It's okay, about okay. Um, the idea that what it, what it is to be human. And what it is to be human means that the only thing that makes you human is that your brain recognizes that it exists mm. and is basically traveling around in a bone and meat mech. <laughs> That's pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I never like, thought about it like that with... <laughs> but think about this for a second bones moving against the will of god it is you as a human operating a a, a structure of meat and bones <laughs> in having to refuel every few hours oh god <laughs> not after this week no <laughs> no isn't that horrifying to think about yeah it's pretty horrifying yeah it's um it's not my favorite thing to think about. And, you know, I had that you, thought. Where, where were you reading? I don't know. I read stuff. Um, I don't even know where I read it. Probably on the Internet somewhere, which is this, you know, oh, horrible well, yeah. place. Well, but also, too, you know, I read that sometime after I read um, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. <laughs> yeah. And I just I'm not I can't get through this month, man. Like, you know, I explained that on on one one or five last week, and it is so much more gruesome than is I had explained. There's a point where the computer just melts somebody's eyeballs. <laughs> what was the name of the computer again? It was like M something. Like- it's AM, which is oh. like uh, I don't know. It's it they had a few. It's like aggravated menace or angry machine <laughs> or some shit. I don't know. He's you know Harlan Ellison is a better writer than I am. Uh, so like I'm not that creative. I'm like angry machine. That's what it is. Um, which you know. Yeah. That's anyway, he melts. Horrible. He turns. He turns a. Uh, he turns a college professor into a a monkey human who can't talk, <laughs> and then when he tries to kill himself, he melts his eyeballs out of his skull. <laughs> so that story oh, is horrifying. Know, I mean, All that happened in twenty pages. Most college professors, I mean, <laughs> are monkey lot, humans. A lot of them you wouldn't miss. They're monkey humans. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. melt all their eyeballs, but maybe turning them into monkeys isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's might uh, cut it's down horrifying. on those tuition costs. All I'm saying. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, this, this week has been, you know, I'm, I'm a little like, um, like an exposed nerve. It's been a bad one for me too, man. Just, you know, watching when you're in, when you're a part of a system and you're in, you're inside the system, you're a cog and you're there with all the other cogs, but you're watching the system around you break down, but the cogs are still moving. It's like, you're just watching everything fall apart. Like, whoa, whoa, when's this going to get to us? <laughs> that's uh, that's the that's the worst concept album that Fear Factory's put together. <laughs> it's a school in disrepair. Cog in a failing machine. <laughs> <laughs> and then just but, metal oh, in the background. <laughs> like he does that weird, like, yeah, gospel yeah. singing. Well, and I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're recording this the, the day that Eddie Van Halen died, which... You know, I'm not going to pretend I was a massive Van Halen fan, but I know that he was a huge influence on some of my favorite people. And, you know, Eruption sick and hot for, <laughs> hot for teachers rad. Sit down, Waldo. I listened to their first couple of records today. Like, I mean, I grew up listening to uh, 1984. Like, you know, uh, my dad's favorite band is not you know for a long time i thought it was kiss or led zeppelin i'm pretty sure it's still led zeppelin but it's definitely van halen um you definitely like he could be in van halen yeah i you know what i'm i would be surprised if he didn't roadie for van halen at some point in time <laughs> and uh you know i i'm you know like it, it <laughs> I just feel bad for him because I know it's like a hero for him. Your dad's basically the dude from Big Lebowski if he did settle down and have a family with, uh, with Maude. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, no, he, he I, I told you before we started recording, he bought his first guitar. And uh, so I didn't tell you the story. He, like, he wasn't home, and my mom was like, you got to see this guitar. It's beautiful. And it's actually a really great, beautiful guitar. And so before my brother saw it, I played the first song on it. Mm-hmm. And so then we were all over at the house, and my, and my brother picks up the guitar and goes, what's the first song that you want to play, want played on here? And I was like, I already did it. It was Thunderstruck by ACDC. And he goes... <laughs> And he goes, well, what about this one? And he's like, that's the second one. Nobody remembers what that is. Like, nobody's going to remember the second and third songs. I already played the first song, and he was mad about that. (laughs) Also, I played Thunderstruck. I know how to play Thunderstruck on guitar for some reason. I had no idea you knew how to play any ACDC songs, but I guess it's like three chords. Right. I, it's it's every ACDC song is three chords, but also I know the only songs I know on guitar are ironic. Like not the song ironic, but I know Thunderstruck <laughs> by ACDC. I know Wonderwall. I know Wonderwall by Oasis. That, how is that ironic? It's a great song. It's wonderful. I know Blackbird. <laughs> um, I can. I don't know why I can play that. Is Blackbird? Blackbird. Why of all Beatles songs? That song's great. It's boring. It's no. That song is fucking that great. And take these broken. It's about a bird singing at night. I don't care. I don't care. I don't remember what the other one was. Now you just you totally like. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, but those, th- but that's all I know. So it was, it was, uh, you know, pretty uneventful for Jesse at that moment. Well, we'll just say it. R.I.P. Eddie Van Halen, another legend in the ground. This year has claimed another, and uh, yeah. we're not happy about it. Yeah, cancer sucks. Well, did he? Was it cancer? Didn't he it beat throat. it once or twice he, or something? Yeah, he's. I think he beat it multiple times, but it was yeah. throat cancer through the power of his rocking. Yeah, that's it. He blew it. He blew the tumor away with a with a, a, a sick riff. Yeah, he just played eruption. Like it was like he did a rosary. It's like play your prescription is play eruption twenty five times a day. 
<laughs> it's it's just anyway. So I do remember piece. the first time I heard eruption, and it was pretty fucking mind blowing. I won't lie. I I, I was never a, a huge fan of them, but yeah, man. Pretty I wild. mean, to be fair, we listened to some pretty insane musicians, and I still think eruption is mind blowing. Yeah, and there'd be no Dimebag Daryl without Eddie Van Halen. So yeah. So oh speaking. Well. Of Dimebag Daryl, that segues us nicely into our awful topic for today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Don't Want to Hear It. I'm Mikey. And I'm Shane. Today's episode on the uh, Halloween docket, because we're doing all uh, all spooky shit for the month of October, is bands that made people kill. Every entry is Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Well, there's there's there are finger quotes around made, but we'll get to that soon <laughs> enough. Right now, why don't we jump into the first segment, the right profile? Whoop whoop! No wait, ah! I don't know what it is. What do we do for that? Just make a noise. Yeah! There, there it goes. <laughs> My name is Louis Gova, and I know rich man, but I I, I know the truth. You don't have to go to hell. You're in hell. This is hell. So, since it's October, and like I said, we're trying to keep things in that spirit, but this is this is more an episode about music and death, so I thought this band was really appropriate. My pick for the week is Year of the Knife. Yes! We talked about this band the, the not too long ago. Oh, God, dude. They Okay, so... A dark band, to be sure, but not, you know, horror stuff like the Misfits or the Nerve Agents. But this band could definitely serve as the soundtrack for locking someone in the trunk of your car. Um, (laughs) But as our thesis on the episode will soon show, we would never blame them for someone committing such an act. So, Year of the Knife hails from Delaware. They are about as brutal as brutal can possibly get. They play melo- uh, m- melodic. No, there is no melody at all. They play nope. m- metallic, hardcore, heavy on the metallic uh, in the vein of something like Jesus Peace. But I could see them claiming influence from some of the more classic greats of the 90s, like uh, Buried Alive, Disembodied, uh, anything of that nature. Real brutally bludgeoning stuff. Yeah. So the band's been going since uh, at least 2016. Uh, they released a few EPs and singles themselves and with Harvcore Records. So they've done some DIY stuff, and then I don't know what Harvcore is. But uh, they released Overgrowth in 2016, Ultimate Disease in 2017, and First State Aggression in 2018. And then they combined Ultimate Disease and First State Aggression into Ultimate Aggression in 2019, which I, I highly recommend. So, Pure Noise, label I've mentioned a couple of times, who are killing it, released Seriously. Year of the Knife's debut full-length this year. It's called Internal Incarceration, and it is a beast. The vocals, uh, t- uh, it's like, to quote Joey Diaz, they're tremendous. And, uh, <laughs> and guttural, I mean, like a dying animal just caught in a trap. I mean, the, the un- ungodly noise. The riffs are completely bludgeoning. The rhythm section is baffling, and it is just all sort of melds together into auditory violence, the likes of which you may not be able to comprehend or withstand. Nope. Um, Year of the Knife is vehemently straight edge, which I always dislike, but they're too good to get hung up on a detail like that. 
Interestingly enough, last thing I'll say, the guitarist and bassist, Brandon and Madison, are husband and wife. And you oh. don't ever see that, especially in a band that is this brutal. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I wonder if they write riffs together and then <laughs> stab each other in the chest. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's just, that's the only way that could go. Uh, it just seems kind of sweet. So more power to them. <clears throat> Year of the Knife, Internal Incarceration is, I mean, I'm talking top 10 of the year so far. It is amazing if you like heavy, brutal stuff. So check it yeah, out. I like it. I like it. All right. So uh, my my band this week is a band out of Nottingham. Okay. Um, so they're out of the UK, and they were uh, – they get described as – I was trying as, to think of a Robin Hood joke, and then I realized that was stupid. So, Well, I just think of uh, Men in Tights when he's like, let me your ears, and everybody just throws ears at him. <laughs> Like, what a stupid joke, but it's so effective and it laughs. Mel Brooks is a genius. Oh, yeah. It led me all years and just piles of ears get thrown at him. So, anyway, uh, this band is from the UK. They get described as the uh, the answer to Dillinger Escape Plan, but I don't think they sound anything like Dillinger Escape Plan. And so, this band is called Palm Reader. Mm, okay. Have you listened to Have you ever heard of them? I've heard of them and I have not heard them. Okay, so they are, um, I would say they're definitely kind of like the progressive type of like heavy hardcore metal that I really like. Um, like if you like bands like Killing the Dream, um, if you like bands that kind of are in the same vein as like Touche Amore um, or bands like that, then they, they definitely could tour and fit in with that genre. But I feel like they're a little bit heavier. I don't know why they get compared to Dillinger Escape Plan because maybe they have like a couple strange time signatures or they have like these really heavy kind of cool guitar riffs. But it is... Um, aggressive like uh, not a few weeks ago not a few weeks ago a few, it was it was a while ago but there was an episode where we talked about a band called frail body um that was kind of like a screamo like an old school screamo type of revision and mm. i feel like this band kind of captures that like old school melodic hardcore like metallic hardcore type of genre um that is desperately missing now and uh and, and they're just a lot of fun to listen to and so they put out a couple full lengths uh their first full length came out in 2013 called bad weather um but the last two they put out they put out an album in 2015 called beside the ones we love in 2018 uh, the album called braille and what i really like about them is like they don't have like these brutal shocking um kind of i guess like the artwork, like you don't see the artwork and immediately think that these are like crazy intense metal bands. You think they're like, they kind of look like indie records. And I'd like that because it's kind of muted and it kind of like doesn't prepare you for what you're about to listen to. But mm-hmm. man, I, the other day I listened to Braille and it is a banger from front to back. And, you know, when you, when I say like metallic hardcore and like that screamo type of stuff, like sometimes you think of like fast and aggressive and it's not really that fast. It's pretty mid tempo for the most part. Um, the songs are, about three and a half, four minutes long. There's a couple that are six minutes long, but they're like longer songs, but they still hold your interest because they're just put together really nicely. And, um, just, they're just very interesting. I think there's a really interesting sounding band. So, uh, if you like stuff like, uh, let's say they, they, their fans, the fans also like, um, I don't know. Heck, um, (laughs) uh, 68, uh, sharp tooth cult leader. Um, I feel like that is probably, Yeah, if you like Cult Leader, then you'll like Palm Reader. That band's like I Hate God almost. Like, they're so 
dirgy and no cult leader is definitely more to me like um like full of hell so if you like full of hell you'll like this band band, what band am i thinking of isn't doesn't the guy from cult leader sing for a band that's like really sludgy i think you're thinking of cult of luna i don't know Cult of Luna rules too. So if you want to go listen to Cult of Luna, go do that. They're I great don't, too. I, I don't. I you don't, don't have to. I don't have the time. I don't have the time. <laughs> I don't have the time to listen to one song by them. We don't have the hours. <laughs> Man, Cult of Luna is great. So anyway, Palm Reader is my pick this week. If you get a chance, check out Braille. Uh, I haven't had a chance to really listen to their other stuff yet, but um, Braille is a fucking, it's a killer record. All right, I'll check it out. I mean, it sounds yeah. interesting. I'll check it out. Yeah. I think you would appreciate it. I don't know if you would love it, but I think you would appreciate it. Is that your uh, underhanded way of saying that I just wouldn't get it? No, I think that you just have a very particular preference for things. And so, like, like if you told, like, if you could listen to Year of the Knife and be like, you would like this. Like, you know that. Like, there are some bands I listen to, I'm like, I know that you would like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head. Like, my gut reaction doesn't tell me that you will like this the same way that if I was like, go listen to Jesus piece, you'd be like, fucking yeah. Um, I just <laughs> like the stuff that I like. Yeah, and that's fine. It works. So, anyway, Palm Reader. Check well, it out. All right. So, do you want to get to the death? Yes, let's talk about all the stuff, all the dead bodies, yeah. all the all the uh, drowning pool lyrics. And remember, I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. Come on down out. Chew on a dog. Oh! So, for those of you who have hung hung with hung in there with us for the entire year, <laughs> last year we tackled bands who killed or were killed. Um, we told a bunch of different stories. There was the little-known black metal murder uh, committed by uh, a guy named John Nodvit, who was the uh, frontman for a black metal band called Dissection, uh, and then he ended up killing himself. Uh, he was a he was a shitbag though. The murder of the great Dimebag Daryl. Uh, and the tragic death of punk rock kid Brian Dennehy at the hands of some, you know, K-Swiss wearing jock out in Texas in the late 90s. And we even talked about how Mentor's vocalist El Duce, how he claimed Courtney Love hired him to kill Kurt Cobain, which he allegedly refused to do, but he was naturally decapita- decapitated by a train several years later. So we <laughs> a lot, didn't get to- A lot of unfortunate events. Yeah. We didn't really get to dig too far in his story because his life was cut short. Ah, ah! This year, though, um, we thought we'd take a look at some cases where bands "quote unquote" made people kill. I'm furiously doing finger quotes because I would, I would, I don't want to speak for you, but I'd say we're both of the belief that music doesn't make you do anything, right? Right. No. Um. I heard. Uh. I heard somebody today describe music as like if we use paintings to decorate our walls, we use music to decorate our sound or our time. Okay, I, I like that. That's that's pretty profound. Yeah, I thought that was pretty great. So anyway, it doesn't make you kill people, though. No, I wouldn't say so. And, and, and I don't think any type of media makes you do anything. So before we start, real quick, I had a funny thing happen to me uh, <laughs> like last week. So one of the first things that we have to cover in the language arts curriculum is argumentative writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a claim is where you stand on an issue. Like, this is what I think, and then you support it. 
and defend it against someone who's arguing with you. So (laughs) I always, to warm the kids up, I put hot button claims on the board that I know that they will react to in a, in a, in a violent manner. So, you know, violent video games make people violent, you know, what music with cursing should be kept away from kids at school. School uniforms are a good thing. I just hit them. (laughs) I, I don't, I don't agree with that stuff, but I, it gets them talking and you know, when they find out that I don't agree with it, it's nice for them to know that not all adults agree with every rule. Right. Some of us are punk. Anyway, um, (laughs) so I had a claim up there about boycotting music with cursing, and I called on one of my students. So I I said, the claim is music with cursing should be kept away from kids under 18. And I asked him what he thought about it, and he goes, but it's just words. And I said, just for the sake of argument, what if if someone who, who doesn't curse listens to this music, and now they curse all the time? And he said, well, I guess they curse now. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, was, I just broke up in front of the whole class it was it was really funny and you know honestly i had no rebuttal to that i'm not saying right. it would hold up in a court of law but it was pretty great yeah so we side with the artist in these matters whether it's profanity whether it's oh your your album made me uh you know kill somebody People, I believe, and I'm, I'm assuming you believe this too, need to be responsible for their own mental health. It's not that it's their fault, but there is a responsibility on that person's part, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't – You mental health is something that you cannot control. Yeah. Okay? Like, as, as a person, you cannot help that you have it. However, there is, like, some onus to be like, you have to kind of – work at it to get better like it does take work to get better and it's harder that for some folks that struggle with it than others who don't have mental health issues yeah and i'm not saying it's easy i'm just saying there has to be a certain responsibility you can't point the finger at a record or a movie or a video game and think that's gonna fix it and and in some cases honestly it's not the artist who made, you know, it's not the artist who made the gun available, but instead it's the, all these sanctimonious political people who, you know, they're the ones who made the guns available and they're the ones screaming about how we need to ban music or ban movies. And it's through their fault and their their lax regulations or them trying to line their pockets that sometimes these weapons become available to people and, and to, to, to try to prevent uh, any of this or even look at mental health would would affect these people's bottom line so it just continues to be the way that it is you're absolutely right i mean it's it's a it's a it's a pervasive cultural problem yeah and i'm not saying i'm anti-gun i'm just saying like maybe uh if you posted on your facebook about how i don't know you wanted to decorate your room with skulls that maybe you that should come up in a background check that's all i'm saying let's let's be yeah. realistic here yeah if you if you like to collect human bones, maybe you shouldn't have a gun. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's look at some of these cases of death that were initially blamed on music. And we begin with the Judas Priest suicide. So, as a quick note, um, there was a guy that we used to work with that loved Judas Priest, and he always made me want to die. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, this this might be... This might be one that we can blame. I don't know if it's him or if it was just how much he talked about Judas Priest, but man, fuck that guy. Yeah. I thought Typo was his thing. Uh, No, he loves Typo. too. He probably talked to you about Typo, but his favorite band in the world was Judas Priest, and he's a real piece of shit. What a fucking douchebag. Yeah. Anyway, 
So, the Judas Priest Suicides. Judas Priest, if you're not familiar, uh, is an English rock band that was, uh, in the 80s, were really big. They were huge. Uh, you know, you've heard the song, Breaking the Law, Breaking the Law. Um, and people called them metal. And they were really more kind of like this blend of like arena rock hair metal and early thrash metal, which kind of cancel each other out and just produce like some kind of like I guess like Kiss, like bands like Kiss, where it's like kind of hard rock, but like Kiss is just more for show, and Judas Priest actually had like something there. Now, yeah, I mean, it's just people call Priest metal, but I just I really don't think they are. They have like a metal look about them, but they don't sound like metal. Well, know? right, I, I feel like that about Motorhead too. Like Motorhead's not a metal band; they're a hard rock band, but they are like I feel like they're more punk almost than anything. Right, like punk thrash, definitely not like a metal band. Yeah. Like, so, anyway, what people know this band for uh, is lead vocalist Rob Halford. He was one of the first openly gay men in the rock scene. Uh, although, if you watch anything with Mick Jagger and Dave Bowie from David Bowie from the 1985 version of Dancing in the Streets, that might have cleared up a few things about maybe open uh open gay men uh or anything about queen but that's there's nothing wrong with that okay we're just saying it like seen that video yeah that video is something it's like just 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 tell us it's fine we're all fine with it it's just yes nobody cares just kiss it's just yeah because the whole time they're almost kissing (laughs) come on just kiss guys just kiss so just kiss hashtag proud boys uh (laughs) By the way, that's my favorite thing right now is like a bunch of gay men couples, like gay male couples have like taken over the Proud Boys hashtags on social media. I saw that. Fucking awesome. Uh, Anyway, Halford usually arrives on stage in his trademark leather getup, sunglasses, stage lights reflecting off his bald head, riding a motorcycle, which is badass. And at the time, nobody was really doing that. And let's be honest, in a time where being gay wasn't as socially acceptable as it is today uh, and as it should be, uh, Halford was an icon for some, giving them the confidence that someone would look up to them like they he was an icon for those folks that couldn't do that now the whole leather thing was was eventually adopted by the black metal scene which is hilarious given how homophobic norway's second wave of black metal was um (laughs) just to think that it was co-opted by like a super homophobic nazi group fantastic and they they would always be like oh priest man i'd rather listen to that instead of like your stupid napalm death and sepultura but like priest was just i mean it, it was gay it was very gay and those dudes were so afraid of someone thinking they were gay. So much so that they actually killed uh, a couple of gay men. So. Yeah, so so crazy. But, uh, you know, uh, either way, Napalm Death is better. Yeah, um, that's true. So, so uh, Priest had been a band since 1974 and as of 2018 had released no less than 18 full-length records. So in the 1980s, British Steel and 1982's Screaming for Vengeance are among their most popular, so you can find a lot of their hits. Now, just like every metal and hard rock band at the time, Wet Blankets Everywhere were lumping them in with the Satanic Panic, and so they got blamed for all this kind of stuff. Kind of like what happens with Ozzy, right? Um, it, it really was like this big thing. I mean, to be fair, Ozzy did bite the head off a bat in front of a bunch of people, so he was that's kind of spooky. He was, yeah, he was just like, but like, like totally on the fritz was this uh, a Cornish game hen <laughs> could you imagine if he thought it was like uh, he's like oh that's no it's, it's fine it's fine it's fine like he thought it was like some other animal that was appropriate to eat what if COVID started with Ozzy 
So anyway, uh, just like the uh, parental advisory warnings in the 90s, being accused of being satanic had the opposite effect on kids, letting them know that this was good shit. And so uh, keep your fucking Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. It is time for your time to scream for vengeance. So like people were digging this stuff. And it was like, I mean, that's like Kiss too. Like Kiss was a bullshit band, but they were the Knights in Satan's service. So everybody loved it because it was so controversial and contrarian to listen to. Um, even though when you listen to Kiss, they're just fucking neutered idiots. <laughs> Yes. So, fuck that band. Uh, anyway, fuck all these bands. But uh, it was the group's 1978 LP, Stained Class, that would garner them a new kind of controversy. So, 12 years after the record was released, a couple of human pustules, uh, 18-year-old Ray Belknap, which is a fucking awful last name, and 20-year-old James Vance were sitting around in their hometown of Reno, Nevada, uh, the biggest little city in the world, listening to... Better by you, better than me. Uh, off of Stained Class, uh, originally by a band called Spooky Tooth, which is <laughs> great name. I, that's a great name. I mean, I don't know why that's such a great name. It's like Ghost Dentures. <laughs> you um, can flip it, Toothy Spook. Toothy Spook, and that's fantastic too. That that made my whole night. Uh, but Priest covered it for the album. So when they were done, these two got drunk and went to a playground of a local Luther Lutheran church school. Okay, and so. After what I'm assuming were a few disappointing slides down one of those terrible metal slides where, like, maybe they were wearing shorts and getting stuck. Yeah. Uh, like that screech. Yeah, that screech. Uh, one of them would, you know, the ones that would scald you, the ones that, like, burned you and left you with scars. And it's what people would be like, is that a birthmark? Nope, that's a burn. Belknap actually put a 12-gauge shotgun under his chin and blew his brains out. Now, after seeing that... Vance said, seems like a good idea, and did the same thing. Only he survived for three years with a massively disfigured face, which is where I'm assuming Grant Morrison got ass face for Preacher. Absolutely. I'm, if you see ass face yeah. uh, from Preacher, 100%, I am sure that is the the uh, the inspiration. Because ass face was a failed suicide, right? Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. Was... He tried to shoot himself, and it didn't work out. I haven't, I haven't read Preacher in a long time. Man, that book, great, those though. books are so good. So, so insane. Um, now, we're not trying to be insensitive. Suicide is a very serious thing. But as you'll soon see with these two dolts, the blame was misplaced. So they obviously had some other things going on. Okay? The suicide was not the fault of the music they were listening to. Now, enter Nevada attorney Ken McKenna, which is, there's too many Kens in that name. Um, <laughs> if you look him up currently, you can't seem to break more than a two-star rating on Google. Now, McKenna and Vance's parents thought a civil suit against Judas Priest. They they went and brought that to them, uh, and claiming that their version of Better By You, Better Than Me contains subliminal messages, urging listeners to commit suicide. Do it and let's be dead were phrases most quoted from the supposed message. Now, Despite no one putting out the pointing out the obvious, why the fuck would a band kill their audience? Right, that doesn't make any sense in in, in uh, anywhere on the goddamn planet. The trial dragged on for almost a month. Priest holed up in a hotel in Reno to get away from the press, and can and I can only feel sympathy for their for their translucent British skin in that dry, awful heat. I've been in Nevada; it is fucking horrific. <laughs> have you have you ever been out there? No, no, I've never been west of uh, Louisiana, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, when you get out there, here's what the weather sounds like. <laughs> it's that noise. I just imagine myself, like, sunning on a rock because I just turned into, like, half a lizard. Yeah, everything sounds like a sizzle. 
So, uh, eventually the judge dismissed the case saying that if the messages actually existed, which wasn't proven, they weren't responsible for the death. So, at least the judge got it. But um, there was a 1991 documentary about the case entitled Dream Deceivers, made by one of the defensive witnesses, Dr. Timothy E. Moore. It's on YouTube. We'll make sure we link it so you can watch it. Um, so, there was a documentary made about it, about it, about the whole situation. Comedian Bill Hicks was pretty vocal about the case, too. Uh, at the time, saying on a CD, Relentless, two less gas station attendants in the world, and an imitating priest saying, uh, we're going to kill the audience, then we can go back to our day job selling shoes. <laughs> so, you know, Bill <laughs> Hicks, known for known for being, you know, pretty forward. Yeah, he just, that's one of my favorite bits when he goes into just questioning how preposterous it is, like, well, let's kill the audience. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's great. <laughs> so, even Dennis Leary gets on this. He went further on No Cure for Cancer and says, uh, kill the band, kill your parents, then kill yourself. <laughs> At least get the order right, I guess. So, Which, of course, uh, Dennis Leary did rip Bill Hooks off a lot. but Yeah, yeah. Dennis Leary is fun, too. So, uh, it's hard to believe today that a trial like that could even happen, but it did. And despite cancel culture being what it is, at least in terms of things like, quote-unquote, evil rock music, people are free to say uh, what they're going to say. So back in 2015, Halford wrote an article for Rolling Stone reflecting on the case, and he had this to say, quote, I really wanted to go over to the mother of the boy who killed himself and give her a hug and say, I'm sorry for the loss of your kid. Let's go have coffee and talk this over. But I think the deeper end of the story was that people who were working for her in terms of the prosecution was very, it was very tangled web because we heard that there was a kind of infiltration from the extreme right leaning Christian groups that were urging them to pursue the case, telling them that we were responsible, but I would have loved to have just, just had the opportunity just to be with that family and let common sense prevail and talk it out. But you can't because it's obviously a high, highly charged emotional circumstance when you've lost your children you're bound to be angry you're bound to be upset you're bound to be looking for some explanation and that makes perfect sense uh you know people yeah. are always looking for a reason why something might happen and so that was the closest thing now the sad truth is, is there's not always going to be an explanation right uh, being unable to hold someone accountable is frustrating for sure being angry about loss for sure the bereavement process is not easy but blaming the wrong person especially when a bunch of conservative christians are twisting your arm to do it it's absolutely absurd and it's totally unfair um but it sounds like there's going to be a little bit of a pattern here as we go forward yeah that's not the last time you're going to hear about the conservative <laughs> christians <laughs> burn the records burn the books that's it that's it get ready <laughs> strap in uh, on Frisky Dingo, when uh, uh, Killface, uh, they almost assassinate him while he's running for president, and he has a near miss. He did, he becomes a Christian for one episode, and he just, <laughs> at his at his speech, he's like, "Burn all your books. This book right here." He holds up the Bible. It's the only one you need. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's that's what we're about to experience with all this. What's the matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Why? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? When it comes to murder and mayhem, the black metal scene is generally second to none. Uh, you'd think, honestly, it'd be the death metal guys who were committing all the murders, hence their name, death metal, and then uh -huh. killing themselves, of course, because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta follow it up, but you gotta top yourself. But a <laughs> lot of death metal comes from Tampa, and I feel like 
Death metal dudes in Tampa are too busy sunning themselves on rocks and going to the dog track between albums. <laughs> or they're just avoiding the beach because there's a growth in the gulf. That's Oh, that's true. Uh, you know, these guys, I feel like most of the time they've got daiquiris to drink and they don't have time to kill their bandmates. So Yeah, they don't give a shit. It's, it's too hot to murder people in Florida. So, like I said, last year we talked about dissections. John Notveet, uh, what he did was he actually killed a gay man because uh, I'm pretty sure John was scared that maybe he himself wanted to kiss a dude. And so that was how he dealt with it. Um, and then he had this little satanic cult going on that was really just like four people who were reading a really long book. Uh, <laughs> and, except they called it a grimoire. And uh, then, of course, at the end, how John lit a bunch of candles in his living room like a divorced uh, wife, and he just finally killed himself two years after getting out of prison. Because he only went to prison for like 21 years because it's Norway, and that's how they do right. things over there. That's right. life over there. Yeah. So, of course, there's the story of mayhem, Euronymous's murder, death, suicide, all the church burnings. That's been talked to death, pun intended. But... There's always some try-hard black metaler who's trying to be the next Varg Vikernes. So this is the story of the Samong Trisatha murder. All right. So on January 9th, 2014, this wasn't that long ago, a 36-year-old man who was the vocalist of Thai black metal band Surrender of Divinity, his name was Samong Trisatha, he also played bass as well, was found stabbed to death in his Bangkok home. Hmm. Did you not know that there was a Thai black metal scene? <laughs> I had no idea. Because uh, it's huge this, there. <laughs> this is the first time. This is the very first time I've ever heard that that might exist. There's bands like Zygotsis, Lotus of Darkness, Ancient Throne, awesome name, yeah. Genocidal Sodomy, Good Lord, Angel Holocaust, one word, Caloric, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and the aforementioned Surrender of Divinity, who seemed to have been a pretty big band within the scene. So, Surrender of Divinity, they have been a band since 96, and even though their original vocalist and bassist is no longer with us, they are still active at the present time. On the list of best Thai black metal albums, and you can find that <laughs> at the appropriately named bestblackmetalalbums.com. <laughs> Which actually, it looks like a pretty professional site. That guy obviously works hard on it. Yeah. Um, Surrender of Divinity appears on that list several times with records like Oriental Hell Rhythmics, <laughs> Manifest Blasphemy, subtitled The Abortion of the Immaculate Conception. I love that title <laughs> for a black metal band. That's fucking great. I know. Immolating the Son of the Whore. And the band split with a band called Archgoat, Angel Slaying, Christ Beheading, Black Fucking Metal. <laughs> Dude, they're on Spotify, by the way. You can listen to Manifest Blasphemy oh, on yeah. Spotify. I'll definitely be linking this for you guys. Now, here's the thing. How satanic and or evil a black metaler is has always been a bone in contention within the different black metal scenes. Uh, you know, in punk rock, people would get called, used to get called posers if they were deemed not punk enough. You know, if they shopped at the mall, they listened to ska, something like that. Poser! Uh, yeah, now they're just called sus. <laughs> yeah, they're just sus, and they need to, <laughs> they need to be uh, thrown out into space. Yeah, <laughs> so, imposters. in black metal, you don't really get called a poser so much as people will harangue you for being too nice and having a sense of humor. Because it's all supposed to be very dour and depressing and everybody's supposed to hate life and make this abrasive yeah. music that represents it. 
Uh, now, not all black metal is satanic. I know that. Um, and you should know that, too. Everybody who's listening, now you do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the Thai scene appeared pretty obsessed with Satanism. Uh, and Surrender of Divinity was one of their most vocal satanic bands, which plays into this story here. So take these lyrics from Paradise's Brothel. By the power of fire and lord of darkness, I'd bind you in the sexual sin of eternal hell. By the power of black magic from the unknown, a bitch and her son will be detained in the dark land forever. We wish you despair. Mary, you're fucking damned. Wow. It's pretty on the nose, or if we're talking black metal, more appropriately on the snout, as usual. (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep, yep. It definitely tracks. Yeah. So, vocalist bassist of Surrender of Divinity, Samong, he is found stabbed to death in his home, as I said, in January of 2014. A few days later, a Facebook user going by the name Maleficent Meditation, fucking asshole, posted photos of the crime scene on his page and took responsibility for the murder. He claimed he murdered Samong because he felt the guy wasn't a true Satanist. Here's part of the inane rant that he posted. I will I will try to remember to link the entire thing. Language the language barrier is a problem. Um this is the most coherent part of it. I have intended to end my life since I was 25 because I'll die eventually. I want to drag down those who tarnish satanism with me, but I refrain from killing women and children. In my view, I have more respect for devoted Buddhists, Christians, and Muslims than those who call themselves Satanists without knowing anything about it. If I did not, if I did not kill him, meaning Samong, I'm sure he would be murdered by someone else later. Are you sure about that? Above oh, all I else, mean, Satan. Maybe he had it coming. Above all else, Satan is not a toy. Do not call yourself a Satanist if you do not believe in Satan. So <laughs> he's got his priorities in order. He, there's, he's he's doing good. This guy. So, yeah, it sounds like he's got it figured out. After posting pictures of a murder scene and confessing to it online, surprisingly, it actually took a few weeks to find this guy, and really, they didn't find him. He had to turn himself in. So Samong's wife had already told the police who it was. It was a black metal scenester named Prakarn Harnfin Bussacorn. Harn- you, you actually did really well with that. Harnfin Bussacorn. <laughs> His name's Prakarn, who had yeah, visited Samong. Harn, Harn, I, I imagine it's pronounced Harnfenbusikorn. I I guess I really don't know anything about how the I Thai can't. language sounds. Um, I uh, I I just like pad Thai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not being dismissive. I, I love their food. Anyway, um, this guy Prakarn had visited Samong on the night of the murder, and somehow after he did it, he'd managed to evade capture. Which seems unlikely, given that he probably sleeps in his corpse paint, and he's always on the streets screaming about how cool the devil is. <laughs> Could you imagine for a second, well, like the forensic, the forensics <laughs> that come in, they're like, this place is smeared with black metal, like you know, corpse paint. Like, then they start doing forensic analyses of that, and they're like, it comes from this place, and there are skin cells in this, and it's this guy. Dude, I would have loved so much if they did a forensic files and caught this guy from his fucking idiot corpse paint. <laughs> I wish they did a show, like a, an episode of um, uh, Criminal Minds on this. It would have been great. We've got a profile. He's wafy. He's covered in paint. He's very he never pro- wears anything but black. He's very protein deficient. Yeah. And he keeps screaming about Satan. If you see somebody screaming about Satan, holding a knife, and talking about Baphomet, it's probably this guy. So, 
Prakarn's version of the killing was that he had stopped by Samong's help to uh, S- Samong's house to help him screen print some shirts. And that's a process which we know from experience. If you're not properly prepared, you don't have the right materials, you don't have enough shirts, it's enough to make anybody want to commit murder. I mean, I have screen printed shirts in somebody's living room before, and I, I almost took myself out. I couldn't take it anymore. It was so mind-numbing, and, it, and nothing worked right. The screen, you couldn't get the ink through it. I hated it. Anyway. <laughs> and uh, the, so these two, Samong and Prakarn, they had a few drinks and, of course, their discussion turned to Satanism, as they are wont to probably do. So Samong allegedly said that he didn't actually believe in Satan and just used the evil imagery for the band's message. You know, like nearly every fucking buddy who plays metal. Yeah. Apparently, Most, this did not sit too well with Prakarn who then responded by stabbing Samong 30 times and fleeing the scene. So eventually, Prakarn's stepdad convinced him to turn himself in. So fortunately for Prakarn, Thailand does have the death penalty, so he'll definitely get to be killed and finally go meet his best friend Satan soon enough, which is, I'm sure, what he's always wanted. So after Samong's death, Surrender of Divinity posted the following on Twitter, I believe. It might have been Facebook. This was 2014, so I don't know. And it really points to a happy ending for everyone. They seem all right with it. Samong, our black vomiter slash base thunder, and most importantly, <laughs> our blood brother, has passed away yesterday by a cruel murdered. No <laughs> words can express about this lost in our horde. Yes, the language barrier is a bit of a, an issue here. Have a rest down there, brother. <laughs> May our blackest flames blazing bright forever. So... I mean, it seems like to them they're okay with it. So Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I, like, have a rest down there sounds a little bit aggressive. Hey man, but, I, I mean, I get it. It's it's on brand. Like, it's on <laughs> yeah. brand for a black metal band. Like, it's you can't, like, that that you would expect that out of a eulogy from a black metal band. <laughs> you imagine, like, you know, when you, the per, a person goes somewhere, like, on vacation, it's really nice. It's like, man, this is heaven. I mean, do they do they enjoy things? It's like opposite. We're like, this is hell, man. This is great. Like, we made it. We made it. And then everybody at the funeral is going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hilariously, the HuffPost article that I read for this entry, I read a couple of articles, but one of them was on HuffPost. The best one was um, it posted a correction that is oh so typical of the black metal community. It goes as follows. An earlier version of this story incorrectly referred to Surrender of Divinity as a death metal band. The band's musical genre of choice <laughs> is black metal. <laughs> and you know why they had to correct it? Because black metalers are fucking nerds. They, I totally, I, I understand that they got a landslide of snobby emails. I'm sure there were usernames like Goat. Teat 69 and rapey devil horn and they all said basically the same thing um actually surrender of divinity is a black metal band not some cargo short sneaker wearing jock posers who don't understand the pure black knowledge of satan <laughs> Dude, and if you're a black metaler and you read huffpo satan should tear your soul apart and not in the good way that they probably want you're not worthy i mean so yeah that's the story of samong and his unfortunate murder surrender divinity if you like black metal pretty sick band i will link them um it seems there's no shortage of murder to cover in the black metal scene so we'll probably do another one of these uh next year 
Yeah, get, yeah. I mean, we could just do. I mean, we could do a true crime podcast on the black metal scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's gonna be a deep dive at some point. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Next on the list is the story of someone named Leroy Smith III. So, part of the story is Leroy killed his father, Junior, or Leroy Smith II, uh, in May of 2014 in Gardner. Is that Minnesota? Montana? Maine. Maine? I don't know. I'm not good with geography. I was. I'm a psychology major, not a geography major. So, uh, in Gardner, Maine. Gardner is located in southern Maine. Uh, you said it right in the next part of the notes, so I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, near, near the capital of Augusta, but it boasts a population of about 5,800 folks as of the 2010 census. So one of those small towns where weird crime goes down, and five years later, Netflix comes in to make a docuseries. We're still waiting on this one. It hasn't come out yet. Now, if I may interject, <clears throat> on the topic of Maine, my parents, I, I was born in Daytona Beach, Florida, Halifax Hospital. What, what? I lived here. Same place Dale died. (laughs) Yeah, I've lived here my entire life. My parents lost their minds in 1993 when I was 10, and decided because my mom's from Connecticut and she used to vacation in Maine as a kid that we should move to Maine, that it would be a good thing for our family. We moved to Van Buren, Maine, which is a nothing town within earshot of Canada. You can literally hear church bells in Canada. We stayed for two months until my mom had a fucking nervous breakdown and we moved right back to Daytona Beach. In that time, I'm just telling you about Maine, okay, so you can understand this story. In that time, I saw inbred children up close for real, like cousin fucker offspring. Um, I precariously avoided the town's homeless wandering pedophile because he used to pull a wagon of old cans. He had a stick with a nail on the end of it. His name was Medis, and you did not want him to corner you outside of the Tasty Freeze because he would definitely start squeezing your butt. Oh, don't like that. Of course, I had had come from Catholic school, and if those guys couldn't stag me, there was no way this freak had a chance. I, I, I was bobbing and weaving. I was out of there. Anyway. Um, And I also learned that Maine is a frozen shithole by any logical person's standard. And it's no surprise Stephen King uses it as the setting for his stories. Maine is a corpse of frozen tundra, sparsely populated with insular clannish people who are basically just filthy Canadians. They are slathered in syrup and gravy, and it is isolated and horrible. And I am surprised more people don't lose their fucking minds there on a daily basis. Continue. I hate that. I had, I had no idea you felt so strongly about Maine. Did you know I moved there as a kid? I did know that. Okay. Um, I, I remember that because, uh, and it was funny because I was reading the notes. I was like, wait, re- what? Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Because I remember you being born in the same hospital I was just a decade earlier. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyway. Back to Leroy Smith III and what he did. Yeah. Let's talk about three here. So Leroy III was originally from Northborough, Massachusetts, and began sharing his father's gardener apartment with him in 2013. He soon garnered a reputation as an oddball, a nuisance, and someone on the local police department's radar. Now, 
Leroy was involved in an altercation in September of 2013, where he made a slitting throat gesture to a passing motorcyclist who promptly pulled over and got into a fight with him that was broken up. Um, if somebody did that to me, I would not fight with them. <laughs> I know, I'd keep going. I would just be like, you, okay, goodbye. All right, dude. Now, <laughs> Leroy was claiming that he was God during the altercation. Uh, the cops showed up to Leroy's again a few weeks later in October when he poured gasoline on a guitar and amp that he owned, claiming the objects were making, quote, evil music, end quote. And he was arrested for ha- harassing his landlord in the same month. So <clears throat> it sounds like he had some other stuff going on. It might not have been. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody, he might have he had some untreated mental health concerns going on. Now. It should be no surprise that Leroy's unchecked behavior started to ramp up, but uh, it's likely that no one expected what came next. Now, on May 5th, 2014, a few miles from Gardner in the town of Richmond, uh, 56-year-old Leroy Smith II's dismembered body was found outside found inside nine different trash bags discarded in a wooded area. Um, that's horrific. So, yeah. The next day, the police arrested and charged Leroy III with the murder, and here's where things get really wacky. So, among the rambling details and motives Leroy gave during his first few court appearances, some of the more notable ones were that the FBI told him to commit the murder and tape it, um, that he did it because his father had sexually abused him for his entire life, alleged and not proven, uh, and his father was trying to poison him, also alleged and not proven, uh, that Leroy himself was a political prisoner, and that Slayer was involved. Um, <laughs> I think that's my favorite part, like that Slayer's involved, like he, yeah. Carrie King just like, bling, 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 bling. Like, just so good. So, yes, the legendary kings of satanic thrash from Huntington Beach, that Slayer, the only one of the so-called big four that actually matters. Leroy's courtroom assertion after going back on the sexual abuse motive was as follows. Quote, I had a gun pointed to my head and was sworn to keep keep secret of what I am, and they refused investigating any persons that are responsible. The whole entire music group Slayer was there. I was told that they that what they did was too overboard. I sent them a message on Facebook, and then Jeff Hanneman, the guitarist, takes his own life. He took his own life on May 5th of 2013. End quote. Does, if that doesn't make sense to you, that's fine, because it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't make any sense at all. It should be noted that Jeff Hanneman, who wrote the lyrics and music for every Slayer album until his death, yes, fucking Rain and Blood, South of Heaven, Seasons in the Abyss, all the big ones, all the hits, Hanneman did actually die on March 2nd, 2013, not the 5th. But it was cirrhosis of the liver, which you can imagine makes sense for a band that drinks as much as they do, including the blood that they drink. Now, <laughs> of course, rest in power to the man himself, Slayer's rhythm guitarist, Kerry King, can't hold that dude's fucking pick. Now, uh, of course, the judge at Leroy's initial trial wasn't having any of this. Neither, it seems, was Leroy's lawyer. In a Guardian article printed during the trial, Leroy's attorney was quoted saying, quote, he thinks our role is to subpoena society and to subpoena certain heavy metal bands to come to explain why they won't let him play with them, end quote. So that is interesting. Like, he <laughs> he wanted he wanted Slayer to stand on trial to ask, like, why, why can't I play in your band? <laughs> now, Apparently, one of more one of Leroy's more colorful delusions that came out during this trial was that he believed that he was the greatest guitar guitarist in the world, and that he was upset that Slayer wouldn't let him join and replace Jeff Hanneman. So he wanted to replace Jeff Hanneman and Slayer, and he was pissed about that. Now we're still unsure how this translates, translates into Slayer holding a gun to his head and demanding that he murder and dismember his father. It hasn't really shaken out. Now, 
As was expected in 2017, Leroy Smith III was judged unfit to stand trial and remanded to Maine's Department of Health and Human Services. He is permitted time away from the facility so long as he is supervised. Now, interestingly enough, Leroy is the first Maine detainee to be forcibly medicated under law, which with, with the goal of being able to participate in his own defense at some future date. That's pretty intense. Like, the fact that that's, like, that's a thing that he's, like, under state manda- mandated medication. Yeah. That's pretty heavy duty. I know. I mean, I he was the I guess he's the first one, not the first one, but the first one in Maine they had to do that too. Yeah. I mean, the dude's fucking loopy, man. Yeah, the guy definitely needs help, but it's yeah. that's a that's a that's a that's a, a slippery slope. Yeah. Um, you know, from the from the legal realm. Now, it's a shame that Leroy's father was murdered, as it seems that none of the abuse allegations his son alleged were all true, and he was probably just trying to deal with his pain in the ass, insane son. And and of course, being that it wasn't the eighties and there were there was no more satanic panic, Slayer was mostly unaffected by the trial. Um honestly, it probably sold them a few more records because after God Hates Us All, the band needs all the help that they can get. Uh, <laughs> the song God Hates Us All is pretty good. I saw them on that tour. Yeah, but the record <laughs> itself is Pretty fucking bad. No, it's bad. Uh, when I saw them, they played with Hatebreed, and they had uh, a wall of amps behind them, and it looked like blood splattered on it that said "God hates us all," but it was like neon orange because they had black lights, so um, <laughs> wasn't scary like it should have been. Dude, when I saw them, they came. They they started playing with the curtain down. They shined four giant crosses onto the curtain, and then slowly, as the curtains went up, they turned the crosses upside down. <laughs> it was so badass and there was just a line of fire behind the drummer. I support that. Like that's great. That's how it should be. That's that's what a metal show should be. That was the same so. show the Behemoth played outdoors in Florida Heath and all Florida Heat and all their corpse makeup melted off. So insane. See, black like metal metalheads are such dorks. I know they are, but they're great. Yeah, the only one that's not is Barney from Napalm Death. He's a terror. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so one positive outcome from the whole thing are that jailhouse interviews with Leroy Smith can be accessed. You can watch them and they're pretty interesting. Now we'll link them in the episode notes. Uh, and this is some weird, wild stuff when you watch it and a rare glimpse into the mind of a completely delusional person. This is somebody who's like untreated for significant mental illness. Now here are a few nuggets. When asked why he killed his father, he said, quote, the world never approached me. They never told me I'm God. And this whole secret blood oath, and this whole secret blood oath with the Hell's Angels and Carrie King, um, they told me when you get to a point, you just have to show the world who you are. And that's the one thing that, that'll save your life. Or else you'll just go, you're, you're just going to get stuck staying as a no one, and the world's just going to run you over. I did this to get my name out there. End quote. <laughs> so, uh, I mean. Uh, that it, that speaks to kind of like where he's at. It's probably good that he's getting the treatment that he needs. Now, he alleges that he sent bomb threats to Iron Maiden, Anthrax, Slayer, Megadeth, and all the big four except for Metallica. Probably because even someone as unhinged as Leroy Smith III thought Death Magnetic was a punishment enough. <laughs> my, my lifestyle determined by death now. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was them being pissed that they didn't get a bomb in the mail from Leroy Smith. <laughs> I want these people to know the meaning of horror.
as you can see, as you can hear, I guess, none of these cases where someone attempted to blame music, whether it be a psychopath who dismembered his father or whether it be um, Christian conservatives and lawyers, it didn't really work out for them, okay? Music doesn't make people kill. But try telling that to everybody after <laughs> April 20th, 1999, because good God, that's all we heard. So, our final entry on the list for tonight. It's a doozy, okay? Yeah, strap in. <clears throat> Let's begin. On April 20th, 1999, some of you guys know that date very well if you're our age. Yeah, because of weed. <laughs> because of Half Baked. Half Baked is the movie that came out that day. <laughs> Doctor says I need a pachyotomy. <laughs> all right, all right. Hold, I, let's get serious. So, on April 20th, 1999, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, two names which shall live in infamy, especially with our generation, they walked into their high school in Columbine, Colorado, not Littleton. Uh, I looked it up. It was Columbine High School is in Columbine. They were heavily armed with guns, legally obtained at gun shows. Think back to what I said at the beginning here. And mm -hmm. they murdered 12 students, one teacher, injured 21 students, and finally, thankfully, committed suicide. Because fuck them. Now, yeah. I'm going to tell you why I say fuck them in a minute here. But if you're from our generation, then you remember Columbine. I, I was sitting in social studies when the news broke, Mr. Uh, Mr. Porter, uh, and he was really funny, and he had this look on his face, and he relayed the message to us, and we didn't understand that at first. It was uh, school shootings had happened before, but this was way different. It was bigger. It was scarier, and you know, you do, stuff like this doesn't sink in until later if you're in high school. You got too much shit on your mind. You know, you're, you're thinking about this. You're thinking about that. You got a test. You got a boner. Whatever. I mean, you just, you know, the, the matters of the world didn't yet concern you. Plus, we didn't have social media. Two years right. later, when I watched 9-11 happen from my desk in web design class, saw mm -hmm. the second plane hit, it was much the same reaction. It was too big and terrible to comprehend until later. You know, it's crazy. It, it, like, I, I remember, like, I remember watching 9-11. We were at the same, we were in the same building. Yeah. Yeah. When they happened, like yeah. I, I remember, I remember that happened being like, "What kind of idiot would fly a plane into a building?" And then watch the second plane hit. And I was like, "Fuck!" That was what everybody but, said. We're like, "What a dumbass!" And the second one hit, and everyone was like, oh, "Everybody like, steer better." And I'm like, "Shit!" They steered what they, they did what they wanted to do. They steered right like they wanted to. So, yeah. but no, I remember, I remember when Columbine happened because I remember, um, I I don't remember getting the news while I was at school, but I remember watching the news at the time and them showing clips like the security footage of them walking into the hallways. Yeah. And like, I remember just thinking that that was so bizarre that the, the news was still showing that. Cause in 99, I was 13. So I was just, I was like, I was like maybe in seventh or eighth grade. There's a famous, uh, little tiny bit of footage of them moving through the cafeteria and you see, uh, Dylan Klebold's holding the Tech Nine and stuff. It's it's pretty fucking wild. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so guys, there's been libraries written about the Columbine massacre. I'm not going to rehash the entire day. Obviously, there's no reason for that. However, one of the things that people always forget about that day was that Dylan Harris or uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold's plan didn't work correctly. They had rigged two propane bombs in the cafeteria. 
and they did not explode correctly. They were up against two supporting pillars. And if those bombs had gone off, gone off first off, there would have been the, the people who were hurt in the explosion, killed, maimed. I mean, it would have been horrific. Not that it wasn't already horrific as it was, but those pillars may have collapsed, which would have dropped the library <clears throat> from the second floor into the first floor. And there were 488 kids in there that day during that uh, lunch session. So it would have been like fucking Oklahoma City. It would have been worse than Oklahoma City. Right. It would have been the biggest terrorist attack on American soil at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And terrorist is the correct word for Dylan, for Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Let's get some shit straight before we get into why it's in this episode. In the ensuing years... The narrative has been hijacked so many times, and it's always by conservative Christian types, right-wing moralists. Eric and Dylan were picked on. They were bullied. They were the so they were in the trench coat mafia, and they were fighting back against the jocks. And it was the music, and it was the video games, and blah 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 blah. If you read Dave Cullen's exhaustively researched tome called simply Columbine, it is the definitive account. It is the culmination of ten years of unbiased research on this guy's part. So right. the bullying narrative, which is horse shit, people, sorry to burst anybody's bubble who never thought about it. It began when the news media rushed the scene as the kids were spilling out of the high school. Everyone's seen that footage. Kids are just running. Kids got their hands on their heads. Wild. Some of them have literally just been shot at. Some of them have been cut by flying glass. Some of them have just seen their friends killed in front of their eyes. Okay. And these predatory media bullshit artists are just jamming microphones in their in their in their faces, trying to get their story. And in the heat of the moment, people are likely to say anything to make sense of something terrible. Right. They're remembering things in a certain way. They're they're giving meaning where there might not be any. And and then it explodes on the news. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were bullied into killing their classmates, and they were in part inspired by violent video games like Doom, violent movies like Natural Born Killers, and aggressive music like Marilyn Manson. I like listen, I like heavy music. I I am all about music that moves me. I have never listened to a Marilyn Manson song and been like, fuck yeah, I gotta do something to this. I know. So, yes, that's why it's on this list. Marilyn Manson being blamed for the Columbine Massacre. Yes, our, our Floridian. Well, he's not a Floridian. He's from Ohio, but he lived here for a while in Miami, and that's where he started the band. Floridian shot ghoul Marilyn Manson back in the 90s. This motherfucker scared the shit out of parents everywhere. Uh-huh. It is hard to believe. When you look at him now, but because he's like kind of pudgy now and he's just like, oh, yeah, well, whatever. But yeah, he looks like a pale Nick Cage now. He does. My, he's, <laughs> you know what's funny? is like I remember when they came out and my like he was really freaky, but my parents were like, that's fine. Like, listen to this song. And then my dad has a hat, a Marilyn Manson hat somewhere that just says, gotta fuck on it. <laughs> that's so sick. So good. But like, so, I mean, the makeup, the contacts and the eyes, that cat in the hat hat, the dope hat. Yeah, <laughs> the cat in the hat hat and the spooky <laughs> vibe of his music. I mean, originally it was Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids. It was right there in the title. It made adults everywhere shit their pants. 
and if, if the thing that's funny now is as a child i didn't really understand but it, now i can look back and see what was going on in underground music in 96 uh-huh. so same year antichrist superstar came out which yes controversial album it is um vile by cannibal corpse also came out so, uh-huh. yeah antichrist superstar controversial but it's not orgasm through torture so yeah but, i was just you know it, it's funny to think about like what really got people up in arms it was like this kind of like funny like almost like a third wave of satanic panic type of thing yeah i mean if 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 parents had gotten in their hands on cannibal corpse I mean, it would have been, I mean, there would have been riots in the streets because as soon as they uh-huh. saw, uh, what, Hammer Smashed Face, Orgasm Through Torture, uh, Gallery of Suicides, it would have just been over. So the media decided to make Marilyn Manson their scapegoat. And which is, you know, if you if, looking back on it, of course, at the time, I understand people jumping to conclusions everywhere, but the narrative was perpetuated. It, it, it was like it was impossible to think that maybe Eric Harris was a psychopath, and Dylan Klebold was a depressive, as Dave Cullen alleges. Now, couldn't be that there was something wrong with them mentally. Couldn't be there was something there that maybe needed to be treated and it was overlooked. It had to be that they were influenced to do what they did by, as one publication called Manson, a devil-worshipping maniac. (laughs) I mean, how insane is that? A devil-worshipping maniac. I couldn't People. imagine, like, saying that in objective journalism. I know. I, I mean, it's probably in the Post or something, but the New York Post, not, not Washington. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So after the news broke, after people saw those images, and then they started blaming Marilyn Manson, and, and, and parents all across America got their first look at him, people went nuts. Uh-huh. The band started canceling shows through the negative pro- the negative press, and there were even protests. They had hearings about it. People wanted them to put parental advisory on concert tickets. Jeff Sessions, I mean, this was when you physically had to buy concert tickets. Jeff yeah, Sessions, yeah, yeah. who we know now, little fucking ventriloquist dummy, he was screaming about it. He referred to Marilyn Manson's namesake, Charles Manson, as a mass murderer, which he isn't, which shows how much the man knows. He's just too busy in church every Sunday to fucking learn anything. Religious groups, lawmakers, they went not only at Manson, but at label mates Nine Inch Nails, Quentin Tarantino, and even the fucking Matrix just because Keanu Reeves <laughs> wore a fucking trench coat in the movie. Oh, my God. They're filming Matrix 4 right now. That's rad. Well, and, yeah, and also if so you stuff. watch the Columbine basement tapes, they do make reference to the Matrix and how much they loved it. The basement tapes, guys, um, I've never seen all of them, but the Dylan uh, Klebold and Eric Harris, for anyone who doesn't know, there are hours, there's hours of footage because they were in a TV production class. They made little movies where they dressed up and shot people. Um, they did a lot of crazy stuff, and you can really get a, a look into them by watching the clips that are available online. It's pretty chilling, and but that it's was- interesting. And that was when they were listening to NSYNC. Yeah. <laughs> so, nine days after the Columbine massacre, ten senators from both sides of the aisle, okay, so both sides of the problem here, contacted the head of Interscope. Now, Interscope owned Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. They owned his subsidiary, or the, the, his label was a subsidiary of Interscope. It was called Nothing Records, and he was the one who signed Marilyn Manson. And I believe Nothing put out... Um, uh, smells like children and Antichrist superstar and maybe mechanical animals. I don't know. Right. So these ten senators contact Interscope, the CEO, 
whose name is Edgar Bromfman, to get him to halt the company's distribution of music that quote unquote glorifies violence. Now let's just a quick detour for Edgar Bronfman. <laughs> Real great guy. So he's the owner of Seagram. So he's a cutthroat businessman. I know we need, we need business. We need capitalism to some extent, but he's one of those yeah. guys who will just like crush you. So his daughters went on to help fund the multi-level marketing scam slash sex cult Nexium. For bullshit ah. guru Keith Raniere, who if you watch The Vow on HBO, if you actually watch that documentary, you will want to punch that motherfucker in his face so fast because he is so goddamn boring and they look at him like he's Jesus. So anyway, on June 24th, 1999, Rolling Stone had the, the fucking balls to publish an op-ed by Marilyn Manson himself. <laughs> that is unreal like to think about them doing that like at that time like good 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 on them free speech man but then they went and put one of the boston bombers on their cover like what 20 years later like a bunch of idiots. oh yeah so so dumb <clears throat> now manson he he's snarky it's the 90s remember <laughs> manson makes the assertion that violence existed long before rock music he's right the bible's full of it he's right he makes the case that his music is a response to a bankrupt society that does enough glorification of violence without his help. Here's a little bit he said. A lot of people forget or never realize that I started my band as a criticism of these very issues of despair and hypocrisy. The name Marilyn Manson has never celebrated the sad fact that America puts killers on the cover of Time magazine, giving them as much notoriety as our favorite movie stars. He's exactly right. From Jesse James, Charles Manson, the media since their inception have turned criminals into folk heroes. Bonnie and Clyde, that's another one. They just created two new ones when they plastered those dipshits Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris's pictures on the front of every newspaper. Don't be surprised if every kid who gets pushed around has two new idols. I mean, he's not wrong. And, you know, it's funny. I remember um, when he first came out, my parents saw him in an interview, and they're like, he's very intelligent. He's extremely smart, and it's yeah. it, we shouldn't even have to say it. I mean, a lot of creatives, a lot of musicians do think deep thoughts. They obviously have the time. But right. Marilyn Manson's always had a pretty cool outlook. He's a very level-headed person. It's, it's a persona. You know, it's, it's meant to shock you. The fact that people can't understand that is a testament to how fucking stupid we are as a society. So right. he's right. You know, uh, the narrative at the time of them being bullied, he kind of shoehorns it in there. It's still wrong. They hadn't been bullied, but <clears throat> he's still right. But here's the thing. Even in the aftermath, even after Dave Cullen wrote the definitive account, there still exists online this entire culture of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold fans. There are all kinds of Instagram accounts dedicated to them, uh, probably Facebook pages, maybe. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they are worshipped. They have fan people online. They don't care if it's been proven that they were bullied or not. They believe they were bullied because the people who worship them were are bullied, and that's good enough for them. In fact, just last year, and people didn't really talk about this that much, a Floridian teen who was obsessed with Dylan Klebold flew to Columbine. She bought a shotgun. And when that happened, authorities went on high alert. They saw her stuff on social media. They, got, they instituted a manhunt for the girl, but before she could kill anybody else... She committed suicide before they could stop her. Isn't that that's, insane? I mean, that's nuts. I mean, obviously she had some other stuff. I mean, and that's kind of the moral of the story of all this. Well, like, yeah, there's something else, but like that it's 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 unreal how like this uh 
like how these narratives get perpetuated and you've got the situation where these kids are highly influenced by these false narratives. But yeah, and here's the thing, like I, I'm not I'm not saying that music can't change your mood. I'm not saying that music can't influence you in a small way, but I'm saying it doesn't make you pick up a gun and kill anybody. Who I've never it? wanted to go bomb a building because I listened to a no. record. Who was it again that made Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold household names, made them available to a public that, you know, do what you will with these two. Worship them if you want. It was the fucking news, not Marilyn Manson. And in that article, Manson even points out that the two shooters didn't even like his music. They liked industrial metal. He said, these two idiots weren't wearing makeup and they weren't dressed like me or like goths. Since middle America has not heard of the music they did listen to, KMFDM and Ramstein, among others, the media picked something they thought was similar. And isn't that the way? I mean, <laughs> someone says to me, industrial, I don't think Marilyn Manson. But you say industrial, to, you say, Mer you say uh, industrial to Tom Brokaw, he goes, uh... Metallica? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> these people are fucking morons. They don't do their goddamn due diligence. You and I know the difference between Ramstein and Marilyn Manson. The average fat American doesn't, and they're all too willing to swallow this politicized drivel because it jibes with their myopic worldview, and it's still happening today. It's just worse. Here's a few more mm -hmm. mistakes that the media made. The Trenchcoat Mafia was actually made up of seniors. The shooters knew them but they weren't part of their group. They were juniors. Now, anyone who's been to high school knows that rarely do people cross barriers like that in a big way. You may be friends with a couple of seniors. You may be friends with a couple of juniors, but you're probably not going to be welcomed into a big, weird group like that if you're underclassmen. Right. And it's thought an eyewitness confused Dylan Klebold with a trench coat kid who just looked like him. So that's where that comes from. And another thing. Uh, they were not unpopular, and they weren't considered nerds either. Eric Harris played soccer and volleyball for the school. Both of them were on the bowling league, and Dylan Klebold had just gone to prom with a female friend a few days before the massacre. Maybe he was friend-zoned, but he wasn't staying at home. He wasn't bottom of the barrel. They, were, they even worked part-time at a blackjack pizza with a big group of friends. They had a social circle. They weren't outcasts. And they weren't really fucking bullied either. There was some teasing as apparently Columbine did have a bullying problem, but they in no way got the worst of it. Okay. And if you just take a cursory look at Eric Harris's journals, you see there that there's like a desire to kill, to just kill. It's not tempered by revenge. He felt that he was superior and that he, and he really possessed an insane God complex. He wanted mm -hmm. to kill complete strangers. He wanted to destroy mankind. He wanted to kill as many people as possible. Okay? That is why they did it. And Dylan Klebold went along with him because they were friends, and he was easily led astray. Um, so, yeah, just like Dave Cullen said, Harris was a psychopath, and Klebold went along because he was an easily influenced depressive. Now, an interesting side story that just shows... It just shows how dishonest these fuckers who try to take your art and your music and your books from you are. Interesting side story is called The Girl Who Said Yes. Did you hear about The Girl Who Said Yes? Uh, no, I've no, I haven't heard this. So, Most of the shootings in the massacre took place in the library at the school. Ten kids were executed in there. It was awful. I mean, they methodically moved around the room, confronted trap students, and shot them. Uh, now, there was a student named Cassie Burn Burnell 
And the story went that she was hiding under a table and she was asked by Dylan Klebold if she believed in God. He said, do you believe in God? And then fearlessly, as someone have you believe, she said, yes, I believe in God, knowing she was going to be killed for it. And Dylan did mm-hmm. kill her for it. Right. Thing is, that's not true. Ah! Cassie Burnell was killed, unfortunately. This has nothing to do with her. She is. She was a victim, and this is not about her. People made it about her. She was unfortunately killed by Dylan Klebold, okay? But she was not asked about God at all. Dylan had shot a girl named Valine Shore, but she was not yet dead. She was hiding under a table. She was riddled with shotgun pellets, and she was saying, and you know, she's thinking she's dying. She actually didn't die. She said, please, God, don't let me die, which is, I don't give a shit if you're an atheist. It's probably just going to come out of your mouth. Like, oh, God, don't let me die. Now, right. as Dylan was walking away from her, he turns around, he hears it, and he says, you believe in God? And she goes, yes. And he asked, why? And she said, because I was raised that way. Which is the honest answer, because that's why most people believe in God. Right. She didn't fearlessly state it and dare him to shoot him, shoot her. So Dylan starts to reload to shoot Valine, or Val, that's her name, but, she got, but he got distracted and he walked away. And there are eyewitnesses both near Cassie and Val that corroborated this story. But who do you think glommed on to the story and hijacked Jeff Sessions. It? Well, uh, one of many. Glommed <laughs> on to the story and used it to fill their churches to promote their cause, it was the evangelicals. The girl who said yes was a national story, and churches banked off of it. Evangelical Christianity is huge in Colorado. A new modern-day Christian martyr? It was too good to be true, and it kind of was. Cassie's mother wrote a book about it, and I believe it was turned into a Lifetime movie. You know who didn't write a song or a book or make a movie about the Columbine Massacre? Who didn't capitalize off the tragedy? I would guess Marilyn Manson. I would guess, I don't know, Nine Inch Nails or any of those folks that were blamed for it. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino, Trent Reznor, anybody else. Nobody capitalized off it. Now, to wind this up, in that same Rolling Stone article, Manson leaves us with a bit of wisdom that eerily sounds like it was written in 2020. It's no wonder that kids are growing up more cynical. They have a lot of information in front of them. They can see that they are living in a world that's made of bullshit. In the past, there was always the idea that you could turn and run and start something better. But now America has become one big mall. And because of the internet and all of the technology we have, there's nowhere to run. People are the same everywhere. Sometimes music, movies, and books are the only things that let us feel like someone else feels like we do. I've always tried to let people know it's okay or better if you don't fit into the program. Use your imagination. If some geek from Ohio can become something, why can't anyone else with the willpower and creativity? Man, that is, it's, it's scary how that can translate to today. Yeah, and that's, you know, I don't get that uh, serious or upset or intense or graphic, but I tell my kids that every day. Like, you know, be creative. You know, follow that. You know, tra- if, you, if you feel like you want to be creative, you want to draw, you want to perform, like, follow that. Don't anyone tell you you can't because you don't need that. You don't need to be a drone like everybody else. You see those kids that they you know that they're going to be like, you're going to do something. I know you're going to do something. And if I get a chance, I try to encourage them. 
Well, you know, it's it's funny because like um, I've learned as I've gotten older personally that I'm not super creative in in the in like conventional ways. Like I'm convention, I'm I'm creative in a space that does not allow for a lot of creativity. So I get to be like the guy, the wild card idea guy. When I'm like, I'm just I just put together a training based on instructional design. It's fucking science. It's not creativity. It's just, you just don't know this thing. And um, but like I have thought about this and for the majority of my life I've been involved in creative pursuits, creating music, writing music, performing music, reading, like, like that has been such a, a, a hallmark of my experience. Um, and it's probably made me more, uh, misanthropic, but it's also made me realize that like humanity is something a little bit more beautiful than what you see, uh, through your screen or just what you witness with your own eyes. I agree. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why we say we side with the artist. Music doesn't make you do anything bad. Music, movies, books, TV shows that don't suck, comics, they should all be protected. And they shouldn't be limited and they shouldn't be uh, you know, banned and, and taken out of people's hands. Because for some people, sometimes that's all they have. And it's bullshit. You know, the, the education system right now, it's it's lockstep. It's 1984. It's a, it's a true dystopia. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And, uh, you know, they need to be shown that it's not all nonsense and just repetition. So. Exactly. So that's the message. Yeah. Well, if you take our last episode uh, last year into account, bands don't kill you. You kill bands. <laughs> That's it. That's that's pretty much what happens. So, it's the Christian right that kills bands. Yeah, those fuckers. Ugh. They got anyway. enough fucking money too. I can't tax-free jack-offs. Fuck them. Yeah, we're over we're over that shit. We're a a a largely non-organized religion podcast. Yep. What? All right. Well, I mean, uh, interesting stuff. I mean, I think this is one of those weird crossover episodes where it's like you don't realize that uh, music and true crime do have like a story. Like, there's a lot of like craziness when it comes to music and like some true crime shit. So, um, I imagine that we could probably spend a lot of time talking about different things. Like, um, you know, there's a, what is it called? Disgraceland. Uh, there's a there's a book out there called Disgraceland that talks about like music murders and stuff and, yeah, and all. Yeah. Th- yeah, it's pretty cool. So, anyway. Uh, that covers it, I think, for this episode, though, yeah? Yeah. All right, so then now it's time to bring everybody up by talking about our Patreons. Boop. All right. Mario Cipriano, Jessica Crane, Matthew Fisher, Amelia Andrews, Kate Neal, Laura Crosby, Sam Parnum, and Michael Osborne. Thank you for getting through this episode to hear your name recorded again and again and again and again <laughs> and again. If you would like to be a Patreon, we are always looking for more subscribers because we are working on another zine. We are we still have stickers available, all that fun stuff that goes along with the podcast. So thank you all for continuing your support of the show. Thanks, guys. You are appreciated, truly. Um, also, uh, Mike texted me today and said that you were sus. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciated that when I got that. I was like, yeah, yep, yeah, he's sus. Um, so... Uh, we don't have any updates about the podcast. Um, we're, we've got a few, you know, uh, spooky episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So be on the lookout for that. But, um, otherwise, if you want to find us on Instagram, 
at I Don't Want to Hear It Podcast. You want to find us on Twitter at IDWHI Podcast. You want to find us on Facebook at I Don't Want to Hear It Podcast. You want to email us at oldpunksvstheworld uh, at gmail.com, or you can check out our publishing company at wndpress.com, uh, or email us at wndpress.com. Uh, at gmail.com. We are, if you are interested in publishing a book, we are interested in talking to you about publishing a book. So reach out to us and we would be happy to chat about what that might look like. Yep. And uh, if you go to our website, I don't want to hear a podcast.com, click the link came from the beach to do a deep uh, tumble dive, a deep belly flop, we'll say, into a bunch <laughs> of our old bands. There's music, there's pictures, there's video, there's little little biographies and all that type of stuff. Check the episode notes for any pertinent links that we brought up during the episode. So, that will do it for us this spooky week. (laughs) And we'll be back next week with something fun. So until then, Annihilate this week. And rest in peace, Mr. Van Halen, wherever you are. (laughs) 